0: So starting to have that ability to be more flexible, which again, rigidity, restriction, diet culture, diet culture doesn't want us to feel like we can be flexible, I think.
2: Thanks for joining
1: us today. Make sure to catch our weekly episode and subscribe to us anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you have iTunes, we would be forever grateful for your review on our podcast. Let's get to our latest episode. The materials and content within this podcast are for general information and educational purposes only and are not to be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.
2: Okay, everyone, welcome to episode eight of Rebel Heart Radio. We're so excited because we have our first guest ever. Yeah. Miss Lucia Holly is here with us today. She is a nutritional therapy practitioner. She has her master's in social work and clinical mental health. Um, You can find her podcasting over at the Essential Omnivore Podcast on the instagrams at essential omnivore of course we will link all of this loveliness in the show notes um and then please do yourself a favor and go make all of the recipes on her website today um she has a beautiful blog i have seriously been digging the recipe index and she's got paleo um keto scd and aip options along with like vegetarian and vegan super incredible oh my gosh
0: Thanks! Wow, so kind. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we're really excited you're here. And today we're gonna we're gonna learn a little bit more about Lucia, and then we are going to talk about. Um, diet culture and summer diet culture and kind of like all that pressure we all feel to have this quote-unquote like perfect summer body oh it's real I'm excited to get into this it's real I feel it Mm -hmm. on the daily so (laughs) yeah it is the season right (laughs) yes Mm -hmm. so Lucia tell us a little bit more about yourself
0: your background all that good stuff yeah. Um, so I mean, <laughs> I feel like my background with nutrition and why I got into wellness is kind of a winding road. So I'll just say, um, there were lots of different incidences in like my early teens that helped me come to try to figure out like, okay, if I want to feel better, I have to figure it out. Mm. Um, but I would say a, a big, Big turning point for me, maybe a big like fork in that winding road, um, was about 10 years ago when I ended up going gluten free. I was in undergrad at the time. Um, Dude, 10 and, years ago that's tough. Yeah, it wasn't popular then, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was not. Um, I was in an undergrad and I was starting to experience panic attacks, anxiety attacks. Um, I had like a heavy load at school but it was something that previously I had felt okay taking and all of a sudden kind of over that summer and into a semester I no longer felt like I could focus felt foggy um, didn't know what was going on would go to the doctor doctors would just kind of pat me on the back and say well hey you look good and your labs are coming back fine which that that's some diet culture stuff right there too stop okay. it right now Ugh. um But I wasn't feeling good. I was going to them because I wasn't feeling good. So long, long story short, when I was in school, I ended up hearing the term leaky gut. And I have no idea why because that was not a popular term 10 years ago. Right. Heard this term leaky gut, um, ended up finding two different studies out of Europe that had connected eating gluten to mood and affect and kind of Poor mood and affect, or feeling nervous, or just feeling like emotions were not doing so great. Mm. So after seeing those two studies, I decided, well, hey, part of my story is that I went um, on the Atkins diet when I was about fourteen, and again, diet culture. We can talk about explore that more later, and had noticed a change in my body composition, but also noticed at that time that I had felt okay. So I. Fast forward, coming back to college, I decided to try a gluten-free diet just to see if that would change anything with the foggy brain um, and the anxiety and the panic attacks.
1: Well, you get desperate at a certain point. You You do. Nobody's helping. So I guess I'm going to have to do it myself.
0: Yeah. No one's helping you. So why not try to help yourself? So I went gluten-free and within two weeks, no panic attacks. All of a sudden, schoolwork was totally easy, easy breezy. I had been having hive reactions to really minimal, like touch. Like I would kneel in the dirt and my knees would puff up. All of that went away in those two weeks. Wow. My life totally changed. I felt really happy. Everything felt kind of effortless and natural again. So that was a really big time in my life where I recognized whoa, food not only impacts how you look, which is what our diet culture is going to be telling us, right? Dieting. But food also really affects how you feel. And food, if you start to navigate how food works for you, there's so much you know, bio-individual nature to our food. And it doesn't have to come from this place of restriction, even though in that experience I was taking something out. It can come from this place of kind of freedom and saying, oh, my gosh, it's not my personality to have a bunch of panic attacks every other day. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I was going to say, you feel more empowered, you know, with that choice, even though it is a restriction.
0: Yeah, definitely. Right. Um, And so for me, that was a really big thing where I was like, whoa, I had to do so much digging to figure that out for myself. And if it was so alternative at the time and still is really. So when that happened and I was like, how much of, how much did my quality of life just improve in two weeks? At that point, I was like, I have to keep talking about this you know if there's just one and that's when I made my blog and it was just like a silly blogspot blog but it's like if just one person reads this and that inspires them to do something or other that can help them feel like more of themselves then yeah. I'm like I'm done like that's perfect that's all I need that's huge
2: because it was so life-changing for you it was yeah yeah wow I had no idea.
0: I had no idea. I'm learning. (laughs) Lucia
2: and I are friends, but I'm learning so much. Um, So I want to go back and ask you about like your relationship with food growing up because I think this is a really interesting you know, just topic to talk about in general about how we all grew up with like either food being a reward or food being something that was like shameful. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you talked about doing the Atkins diet when you were 14. I was like, Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Was that the first diet that you had ever done? Yes,
0: it was. So I firmly believe that people can have health and people can have their own definitions of health and that health can come at any size. So sometimes it's hard for me to talk about my own body and body weight fluctuations over the years because I don't want to be prescriptive about it. I don't, you know, my experience is my experience, right? Versus putting it on someone else's experience. So when I was a teenager, by about the, well, by age 11, I started to gain a lot of weight and I was homeschooled at the time. I was homeschooled from about grade two to grade 10. So there I was at home eating the same foods my two siblings were eating and they were little, you know, twigs and there was something quote unquote wrong or something different about my body where we were all eating the same food but my body was holding onto that weight and I was gaining weight really rapidly. So by age 14 um, and I was getting a lot of flack too, you know, especially that was in the 90s, like very late 90s, early 2000s. Oh, Big yeah. focus on body, body composition. I don't, at least at my age, there's, I don't know what body positivity was then. I don't think it was around. I don't around, think it wasn't. it wasn't. It was, right? was, was, was yours were
1: your fit and thin and tiny and it's just, that's. No.
0: <laughs> right, right. And no social media, so it was very much like, "Ooh, I'm overweight. I am bad. There is something wrong with me." Mm-hmm. Um, so at age 14, my I and this is a positive experience. Age 14, my parents put me on the Atkins diet and they did it with me. And I don't know why. I think it was just it was a trendy diet at the time. I had never dieted before. Um, and I went on the Atkins diet and pretty naturally my body Released that extra weight, and now where I'm at, looking back, I think there was a lot of inflammation going on um, for a whole host of other reasons.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: that was an experience actually before the gluten free when I was in college, where I realized, whoa, the foods you eat affect how you function. I had more energy. I wanted to go be more active. I probably was feeling better from mood and affect standpoint, but just didn't even know it then. Um, so Atkins was big for me. And that was one of those first times where I was like, okay, it was your gateway. It was, it was my gateway. And growing up, I loved food. I I still love food, obviously. Food, my mom is an awesome cook. We would eat meals together. I was like her little helper in the kitchen to get food like to the table so we could all eat it, loved it. Um, But when I was a teenager, I started to feel like, God, I love food, but food doesn't love me. Like what, what is either wrong with me or wrong with this um relationship with food, why isn't it working in my body the way it's working in like my siblings or my parents' bodies? Um so that yeah, that was that's definitely a tough, that's a really tough
1: place to live, you know. Tough when place to live. Yeah. Yeah. When you feel that comparison coming on strong and your parents aren't sure what to do to help you and it turns into a lot of, I think that's where um a lot of our adult feelings around food come in yeah. is how how was it treated when we were growing up I mean you know my story getting my all my kids in their food I, I'm constantly worried about that with them because I want them to feel empowered I don't want them to feel restricted but as a parent I'm sure your parents were just like we just want her to be healthy you know right. so it's it's a tough place to live for everyone when you're trying to great create a healthy relationship of food as a young kid
2: and I yeah think, I think so I think it comes back to um, making the conversation about not how you look as a result, but how you feel. Yeah. And honestly, that goes all the way back to, you know, you being in college and going to a physician and saying, hey, you know, I'm not feeling well. It, why, you know, they're like, well, you look good and your blood work is fine, which don't even get me started with blood work because oh my gosh. It, we're not testing for the right things. And then when you even look within that, we've got a culture of people who are sick being represented in the norm for blood work. And so the the optimal range is definitely different than the range that we're looking at within clinical blood work. But also, you know, never once did your doc say, well, you know, How are you feeling and what makes you, what would make you feel better? How do we facilitate that? And I think that's just, it's a conversation that needs to be happening more in the medical community. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, obviously it starts with us and our our children and our families and and being able to facilitate those conversations. So
1: I think our generation might be the pioneers of that too, because I noticed even like working with my parents and how my mom was feeling in her health and being able to talk to her about, you know, but she she looks back on her journey in the last year cuz she's lost a ton of weight, she's been managing her Hashimoto's, her hair's growing back, she's sleeping better. She was like, "But I didn't really feel that bad before." And I was like, "You weren't sleeping. You had horrible insomnia." Yeah, you get used to that normal. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "But we but that was such an indication of what was going on in her insides that I was like, our society probably needs to have this conversation more of like how do you feel and does it make you feel good? And I, I love the idea of being able to teach future generations about being more intuitive of how they feel versus how they look.
2: Yeah. Well, and we're, we're disconnected with what the healthy normal is because we're so far affect from that yeah. as a culture. Agreed.
0: Right. And I think we have this We also have a, a culture of saying, well, if it's, you know, what's common is normal Oh my favorite saying ever.
2: Right, right. So it's like, okay, you know, oh
0: yeah, PMS, we all experience it. It's fine. Like, oh, you just have some bad PMS versus good PMS or whatever. We don't even even add into the the spectrum, well, hey, what is PMS and what's going on? And I think same with you know, when I was a young teenager, I was having gut issues. I wasn't feeling good. But even being able to get the right words to talk about that with a doctor who's, you know, seen you for like three minutes before Running out of the room to their next,
1: who doesn't patient. touch you or evaluate you right you right. think the first thing they'd ask is how are you feelings so that's the
2: <laughs> yeah and, you know the tough part about whenever I get gripey about the medical community is it's really not in the hands of the physicians it's really the system exactly. um, that's putting them in that position to have to walk through that many appointments within a day and not being able to have that time with their patients because they want to they all everybody got into yeah. the medical community to help people like that. That's, that's the, the tough part. Yeah. Right. So I try to I try to see the people on the other side of that when I get real worked up in that. Yeah. <laughs>
0: it's, it's, um, a, it's a paradigm that we've been working through. And I think I think it, it, we are in a cool time where that paradigm is starting to shift. And again, like social media and Google and access to stuff. I mean, that was you can get down a whole Google wormhole of Googling too much and you know, especially with like health and wellness stuff, but just having access to education, that's a big thing that I bring up a lot is saying like, okay, you know, I don't think there are any good or bad foods, including the most processed scary foods. But it's just saying like, if we're consenting to eating a range of different foods, let's have it be informed consent. So we know what we're eating and how it's affecting us. And then we can feel really awesome making any decision we want, because we're autonomous beings and we have the right to have these different choices.
2: One hundred percent informed consent when Mike it comes to food. The drop, cats. literally, genius. I love it. <laughs> and
0: that's how
1: it should be. I think that's what what uh, we're all discovering is that you don't you don't know until you know, and then once you know better, you do better. You know, and once you can get to that point, but if if you don't have access to that knowledge, or you don't know where to start, or it's scary, which let's face it, that's where a lot of it starts is it's just overwhelming for the mass majority of people. And I totally get that because it's been a long journey for me and I know it's been for you and it's been for Cassie. Yeah. And we, But we were determined because we were determined to be informed and to inform other people. And it just turns into this like, it, I. there's a lot of times in my journey, I have been, why isn't this taught in school? Like, why isn't this like... What? it's just, it's how the body functions, you know, and it's just a lot of these, like, I I wish that there was more education happening for people at a younger age, just like there is when we talked about the food pyramid, because we all know what the food pyramid is because of school,
0: right? And kids are smart. Kids can learn this stuff. I mean, like anything that I was, you know, starting to suss out when I was older and doing the gluten-free stuff and really diving in more then, there's stuff I easily could have understood when I was 11, like, these are not crazy concepts. It's really tangible stuff and it's our own bodies that we're living in day to day.
1: And it's amazing watching my kids. Like it's gotten to the point now where um, I'm really proud of my kids because they're getting to the point where they're asking other people, does this have wheat in it? Does this have sugar in it? Because they know how it makes their body feel because they've been able to like understand my body doesn't like that. The other day, Lucy was having a little bit of tummy trouble and she goes, she goes, I ate too much healthy fat. And I looked at her and I was like... (laughs) I don't, think, I don't think that's a thing. And she goes, you're right. I had an apple. I had too much sugar. <laughs> she's not even five, right? Yeah. So the kids are super intelligent, like you said, but it's just, it, it's not like I've sat them down and had lessons with them or anything. It's just how we've lived. And I've been really open in our dialogue of like, how does that feel? And i oh, my tummy hurts. Well, how much did you have of this today? And let's talk about the food you had. And you know what I mean? Sussing it out. I like that phrase. You mm-hmm. Sussed it out.
2: <laughs> so I want to shift the conversation a little bit and talk about intuitive eating because I think this mm. is something that I have a lot of clients who walk in my door. And Lucia, you work with private clients one-on-one too, who, who really want to be able to eat intuitively, but they've lost those like hunger and satiety cues that we normally get because of, you know, just being too far down whatever road they're down. Um, and most, most people come to us with a restrictive eating history. So how do we, how do we like bridge the gap? Like, can a meal plan be a bridge into intuitive eating, like restriction into intuition? Sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, no. I think that's such an awesome concept to be thinking about. And yes, like encounter that a lot. I would say majority of clients who are coming in um, is trying to figure out okay, what actually works. Or I'm trying to help them figure out. Maybe if they don't necessarily know it initially, it's like what actually works for you and your body. So yes, I think in the short term, doing some sort of um, like a like a a style of eating or like a template where it's not necessarily it's not necessarily about the restriction, but we are putting on, we are engaging with restriction, but it's for a set amount of time. So we're saying, okay, in the short term, for four weeks, let's opt for like a paleo template or, you know, whatever is something that feels approachable or feels like they can do it for that set amount of time. And having it, I love to, when I'm working with people, have it, have them say to themselves, like, this is an experiment. This is not me being good for four weeks. This is Mm -hmm. not me being, like, clean for four weeks or whatever. This is me just giving myself time to see – how my body responds in these four weeks based on the fact I talk a lot about kind of highly allergenic foods. So it's not even saying like, okay, you know, paleo foods are or non-paleo foods are bad or, you know, you're not eating that muffin because it's going to give you a muffin top and uh, it's, it's, <laughs> right. Gosh, it's I more about just saying like, hey, let's just calm down the inputs so we can really understand what your outputs are. So if we're getting in kind of quality, really nutritionally packed foods for those four weeks, let's see. I mean, oh my gosh, I know you two know about blood sugar levels and how much of those can affect mood and energy throughout the day. But that alone where someone can recognize, hey, when I'm eating with a style, a template like Paleo or again, whatever, that helps to even out my blood sugar levels, turns out I'm not a brat. My personality isn't to be a brat halfway through the day. That actually was my body responding to this input where my blood sugar levels were dropping. And when my blood sugar levels are even, I'm I'm the person that I think I am. So even starting to like figure out like what is personality and what is my body just navigating the world with foods or environment or stress or lack of sleep, any of that stuff. So Yes, this is a long-winded way of saying like, yes, I think having a template for people to work on first, you need structure, especially when you're learning something new. Structure is really helpful. I think that's really appropriate. But where it starts to get a little bit murky is if someone is trying to say, again, I'm just using paleo as an example, because I think we all like understand that and work with it, is saying, okay, well, I've been paleo for two years and I don't eat rice because it's not paleo. So I'm doing paleo really well. Instead of saying, cool, I trade paleo, and actually if I were to look at how I'm doing, I feel pretty fatigued. I'm not actually getting in a bunch of calories because I'm eating a lot of non-starchy vegetables. And trying to get to that place of saying, okay, maybe now is a really cool time to do a new experiment and say, let me add on to this paleo template with a little bit of white rice. See how I feel. Yay or nay. So I love to talk to people about the idea of abundance, but in order to really build that authentic abundance, we still need to kind of quiet the playing field first with an appropriate template, depending on what they're coming into a session or you know just what they're experiencing.
1: I love that so much. I went through that with Lucy. It's but it's it's been interesting watching her because when you start talking about like little bodies they need a lot to grow and sometimes like low carb is not always the right way to go sometimes you know so it's been a lot of like sussing up the situation with her and uh coming from i almost feel like in some ways you guys can relate to this as practitioners because as a parent i don't know exactly how she's feeling i can kind of suss it out because i spent a lot of time with her but it's a lot of like asking her uh, okay does your tummy hurt or are you hungry or, you know, you know, we go through these, these moments of trying to like feel it out and like understand, you know, maybe she does need a snack before she goes to bed or, you, you know what I mean? And we, we added rice back in for her, but it's like small amounts. And then I did a lot of research of understanding what rice does to the body. You know, it's back to that being educated about what yeah. you're doing, you know, right. what you're adding in and things like that. So I love that we're talking about intuitive eating because I think that that is the next step beyond diet culture.
0: Yeah. yeah, And I never really even, I'll be honest, like that term intuitive eating, I never really identified with it. And it's only been recently. I'm like, oh, I guess that's what we're doing here. <laughs> <laughs> like for me, it's just like what, you know, what feels aligned with a person in the moment? And then what are their goals? And are their goals being, are they being motivated by guilt or shame? In which case are those maybe more like extrinsic goals, AKA are they coming from diet culture or are they more intrinsic goals, uh, a feeling like they, you know, have more energy or want to sleep or have, you know, the time of day to play with their kids or whatever. There's so many reasons that people can be coming to trying to figure out their food and nutrition. Mm. So yeah, I think that's just stellar.
2: So, Lucia, I would love for you to talk a little bit about the difference between, like, restrictive dieting um, and then, like, dietary lifestyle, style, like, i.e. preferences, right?
0: Yeah, totally, yeah. So I think, you know, even the, – so the difference between dieting and a dietary style, again, at the end of the day, I think it comes back to where is that motivation coming from. So often I think a diet is coming from – diet culture from control culture is coming from the outside influence bikini season something where it's like oh my gosh I should be different and I'm not right so I better opt for the thing that's going to make me right it's going to make me good and I'm bad right now
1: uh, very very well it makes down. me sad hearing you say that I'm like
0: oh yeah but if you if you look around and it's like I'm not, no one is perfect. Like it's so easy because that is so our culture. I, I still
2: feel that, you know, I yeah. have to check myself on it and I know better.
0: Totally. Yeah. It's same here. And then it's, there are always going to be different factors, co-founding factors. Um, and it, it changes season to season. You know, I think it's great that we're recording this now because like you were saying, Cassie, like we're in the summer season where there is so much talk about bodies on, like, any side of the spectrum. So, for me, that's where dieting starts. And then a dietary style, because you will see people who, especially I think often with like chronic autoimmune conditions or what have you, they need to be opting for a more restrictive or structured style of eating. And for those people, it could The same style of eating for them, which is lifestyle, could be a diet for someone else because it could be coming from a shame and guilt place instead of what I think makes it lifestyle or a dietary style is when they're saying, when I choose to have these parameters around the foods that I'm eating, it actually gives me more. It gives me a more abundant life versus something like a diet where often that diet is from what I see is taking up the majority of someone's brain power and if they're not on it and they're not doing it right they are a bad person it's about who they are versus I think of often if someone who's on a more restricted type of dietary style for like an autoimmune condition if they mess up on that I feel like I see a little bit more wiggle room they're like whoa I messed up but Now I'm feeling more of those physical changes because of this food that actually doesn't work too well in my body, but I'm, and there can be overlap, of course, but it it seems like there's a little bit more wiggle room from it being like, I'm a bad person to like, oh yeah, this is why I don't eat gluten or wheat or, you know, what have you.
1: Yeah, I think the the self-shaming is where a lot of the diet culture is the the problematic part of it. I think we all want to feel good and a lot of times when we feel good, we look good, but that doesn't always translate um and I, I think I was listening to you talk about uh the difference between a restricted or structured style and sometimes for a lot of people just that shift in I'm not eating restricted or I'm not restricted in my eating. Some people that brings them great anxiety. Whenever I've talked to like my friends who've been like, How do you do that? How do you eat that way with your kids? And it was just like a well, I don't view it that way. No, this is how we function. Yeah. This is this makes us all happier. This makes us all healthier. And it makes life better better. So I don't view it as a diet. I don't view it as a dis- restriction. Sometimes just changing that wording to structure. I love that because that's what it is. It's just structured. But I think there's a lot, I mean, we also do that with like even raising children. Children do better with structure in their life, right? <laughs> they really do. And so it's the same same way with food. I think our bodies just do better when we have a better understanding and it's structured, not restricted. It's yeah. Just, like, sometimes that change, I think, can be a lot.
0: And, you know, I love that you're talking about your kiddos too, because a lot of times it's like, I think as adults, we need more structure too. Like some of that, like routine, so just like those basic needs. Like, at what point did we think that we could just, like, run on three hours of sleep? Like, would you do that to a kiddo a few days in a row?
2: Exactly.
0: No, because what's going to happen? That kiddo is probably going to feel horrible. And then, like, that's maybe going to change how their parents (laughs) have to get through the day or what have you. Yes. Yeah. So looking at those basic needs. And, you know, I do, there's obviously with any of this stuff, also recognizing, like, If there's a history of disordered eating for someone, we were also talking about restricted or restrictive diets, how that plays into and is a big factor as well. So, Mm. another, I mean, sometimes the concept of like intuitive eating, I think it's almost stressful for people because it's not a plan. Mm -hmm. A lot of the times it's like, no, we're going to keep checking in and see how things go. Even if you start with a plan, the kind of goal can be, and now we're going to expand and expand from there. That can be really scary because, again, if we come back to diet culture, what is diet culture saying? Be good or else you're bad. So try the structure, and if you're not trying it, it's black and white. So to be in that middle murky gray area, that is so, to me, I think that is so wholly alternative that freaks people out because like where is their fallback? Where is their network to talk about that? A, if they have a support system, cool, right? Some of that hopefully they're talking to them oh, about man. nutrition. But that's beyond so that, even with family, right? It's like not only are you doing something that's alternative where you're thinking about the foods that are coming in, you're kind of double downing on that alternative nature by saying like, And then I'm not going to make them good or bad. I'm not saying I'm doing paleo 100%, so I'm a good paleo person. I'm saying, well, what am I saying? Oh my gosh. Oh, I have to check in with myself and figure out what I'm saying? That's like a big deal. I'm paleo ish. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I love it. I, you know, I, I, I love what you mentioned about people kind of being in this limbo space where the, we're all seeking community and wanting to find other people who are in the stages of life that we're in, and and I think one of the things that can help us like feel better about the dietary changes that we're making is having that label, but then we don't realize how deeply ingrained that label gets in our brain. And then when we try to step away from it, we don't feel comfortable anymore to do that or know what to do next. Um, So when I have a client come into my office and they have that fear to, to stop dieting and they're seeking more structure from me and I'm not willing to give it to them. You know, I'm my, that's my big red flag for, you know, we got to take a deeper look at, at why we do what we do and why you feel like you need to be on a quote unquote diet or program or whatever it is. Um, But, you know, looking at that as like, okay, this is a red flag for, you know, a history of disordered eating. And for me, that's where I refer out because that's not my, (laughs) not my expertise. And I think there's so much more to work through when it comes to that. Um, Our relationships with food are so nuanced and deeper than we ever thought
0: possible yeah, you know they're they're nuanced and as well you know if we talk about like a history of disordered eating or not disordered eating or a history period i think what is also tough but needs to be discussed is the fact that like like we're in like time is always moving so we're always kind of building our history too so what's working for someone right now or for the next quarter or season or month or whatever that might not be exactly what they need two years from now. Or maybe it wasn't exactly what they needed five years ago. So that also, when we think about that gray area that we're navigating, kind of the juicy, I think it's a juicy area, mm-hmm. like that requires checking in with yourself. That requires coming back to being present now and also in the future. So being able to build that tool of saying like, oh my gosh, how am I actually feeling? And really saying, okay, And maybe I need to pivot and maybe during this period of higher stress, X works for me or when I'm actually really relaxed or on vacation, Y works for me. So starting to have that ability to be more flexible, which again, rigidity, restriction, diet culture, diet culture doesn't want us to feel like we can be flexible, I think.
2: Yeah, I struggle with this myself because I have, I mean, my road to healing started with a ketogenic diet and um, I felt for a long time for me that that's like ground zero. The, all, the thing I should always come back to because that's the thing that worked for me six years ago. And the really interesting piece of that is, it like, kind of it actually is, and I but I took a lot of time. And when I was doing CrossFit, I, you know, I, I moved into eating more carbohydrates because that was more appropriate for my body at the time. And then I just kind of hung out in that space where I wasn't doing as much physical activity and my body wasn't demanding that level of carbohydrates, but my stress level was high. And whenever I come back to, for me, this place of like being in ketosis or fasting, my body feels better if I'm stressed out and I have to fight like my own nature to to be like, okay, am I, am I restricting for like just the purpose of restricting? I'm doing this because it's making me feel... I really have to check in and see, is this making me feel better? What is it doing for me? Am I doing this because I feel like I have to or I should, right? And we get into that space too as nutrition practitioners. Like... You know what should we be doing as nutrition practitioners to respect our our bodies and treat ourselves well and set a, a great example for our client base and I think it 's always coming back to that treating ourselves as as an experiment a n equals one experiment where we 're just going to play with some stuff and see how we feel and make sh- making sure that we 're checking in, but always giving ourselves as human beings periods of time, if not ideally, all the time eventually of not being on a eating plan or a diet or what have you. But we all have moments in life where we kind of have to take a step back and say, okay, is this is a time where I need to apply a short-term intervention to help myself feel better um, and check in with that. But in general, just being able to come from this place of like, oh, I'm not I'm not doing a thing. I'm not, I'm not doing a diet. And for me, there was a period of like three and a half years where I was in that space. And it was while I was pregnant and then while I was breastfeeding and then for several months thereafter. So this was pretty recent for me. Me, and it was so uncomfortable for me. And it was a big, big like head check for me to be like, okay, this is, this is really difficult. And I'm starting to understand why, you know, having this lack of restriction can be so Frustrating because for me, when I was pregnant and when I was breastfeeding, I felt like that was my quote unquote like excuse to eat badly. And I wasn't eating badly. Like, that's the, that's the there, you know, again, we, we got to get rid of this good or bad. But then when those responsibilities were done, then I went back to thinking, I don't have an excuse to be eating. This, this, and this, this now. Mm-hmm. So it's it. I, just going through that thought process myself, I'm like, <laughs> and I know what I need to do for myself.
0: You know, <laughs> I know how to check in. Yeah, it's pervasive. And again, I think our culture really promotes that. You turn any which way in our culture, even just hearing how you know people say hello to each other and they say, Hey, oh my gosh, you look so good, or like, Oh my gosh, that shirt looks so good on you. Hi, it's nice to see you. It's so frequently about how we look. Mm-hmm how we're engaging with each other, how we're showing up in a space, which I think there are appropriate reasons why we talk about that stuff too. It can get really deep there. But, you know, my end goal with working with clients is like, I want you to be able to stop thinking about nutrition. I don't want you to be thinking about it 24-7. I want you to figure out a plan in whatever capacity that, you know, looks at for for you. Like it doesn't have to be a big structure. I want you to feel like you have – tools in your toolbox or your tool belt or your tool shed, wherever you put your tools. (laughs) Tools so that you can navigate through life, through different periods when you are more stressed out or when you are more relaxed or when some big thing happens or when nothing's happening and you feel like you have these tools to be able to shift and pivot with those different changes because life is not static. Nutrition is not static. But feeling like you have to hyper focus on nutrition to get through that stuff, to me that's diet culture again and you know how how tiring i want people to feel like they can free up their brain space so they can go do the thing that they need to do in this world because we need a lot of free brains and i think diet culture wants our brains to stay really busy and be on that hamster wheel
1: what also goes back to when we go to uh childhood, you know, and if we had any aches, if we had any pains, if we had anything, it was immediately going to the medicine cabinet. It's what can we find in there to make us feel better? Where if we just have that education, like you were talking about earlier, to make that choice of actually... If I eat a little more fat or if I have a little more carbs or I know even just a little bit of um, like healthy, like natural sugar will do X, Y, Z for me. If we just have that knowledge in our tool belt, shed, whatever, you know. (laughs) Um. I feel like it can help us get past that diet culture. It's, um, you know, it's the same kind of thinking of if we just have that in a tool belt to make an informed decision about how we're thinking and doing and feeling and interacting and things like that. It, it's it's the same kind of concept. It's like if we can just replace not this, that there isn't a place for medicine because there is, but if we can take that, oh, I'm feeling this, so I need this fix. Right. You know, if we have that, have that in our tool belt to get the fix in a way that's like works well with our body, then we can get past that
2: thought process. I think think that goes back to, to thinking about food as options and tools that are in your toolbox or shed Mm -hmm. or all those things, (laughs) Uh, you know, as well that we can, you know, tap into to help us rather than it being something that feels like we we have to do or is restricted, and and being empowered in those choices. And again, I think that just go back goes back to what Lucia was saying about you know why you're doing what you're doing, knowing
0: right. knowing why. Um, yeah, Those choices. Right, and that the same choice. And again, if we want to talk about that gray area and the murkiness and the the beauty of the murkiness, what you're doing that works so well for you right now that is coming from a healthy place, maybe that same action wouldn't have been healthy. Again, I think I was saying this before, but like yeah. two years ago, maybe that would have been the absolute worst thing for you. Yeah. But we're always changing. Time is always moving along. And we're always, again, building that, that toolkit. So what works for you now? And being... Hopefully, feeling empowered to be like, oh my gosh, like what an honor to be able to check in with my body and hear that it has different needs. I think diet culture wants us to be again really static and say like to fit into a box. Yeah, like I am a robot. Like what? (laughs) Mm. Just like plug in my little like CD or we don't even use CD ROMs anymore. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Just connect to Wi Fi or Bluetooth and then be good. Yeah. Instead of saying like I'm gonna have different needs. I'm gonna have like Cassie, like you were saying. I'm gonna have different times in my life maybe I'm going to be pregnant or breastfeeding or I'm going to have an injury, all these different types of mm-hmm. things that our bodies go through, that we can actually be okay to have some space around. Instead of saying like, nope, head down, dig through it, and be good and be oh, good man. harder and faster.
1: That's a big one. Just put your head down, dig dig deep, just push through, I think is a very common theme that we, we kind of learn through uh, – childhood a lot of it too. It's like sometimes, you know, we're told to just toughen up, just get it. And it's like sometimes you just need to check in with your body first. Yeah.
2: You know? Well I think this goes back too, to to people coming in our offices and saying like, well why can't why can't I accomplish why can't I do this? Why can't I do full AIP? Why can't I do a sugar tea? To-? Like it, it's something that doesn't feel right. You know, it feels impossible for them. And I'm like, well that's probably a sign that this isn't the right choice for you right now.
0: Right. And guess what? That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. I mean, I would, I used to run these group nutrition classes and we would have a nutrition challenge during them. And I loved it when, um, clients would come in and let's say they were like a week or two into the challenge. And it was like a three or four week challenge. They'd come in and we'd always do a check-in like around the circle. Like, how was your last week? What are you thinking about with our lessons or whatever? And people would come in and they'd be like, you know, hang their head in shame, be like, I messed up on the diet. (sighs) Like, I'm bad. And they'd wait, you know, they'd say that and we'd do the check-in and they'd wait for me to like wave my finger at them be like, you better do it harder then. Like, get out of class. We're done. And you're not going to do that. I'm not going to do it. I would always reframe it and be like, well, that is, (laughs) and you know, We would have some fun with it. So it's not just like big dork being like, no, it's great. But it's like, cool. I bet that was an experiment. What did you notice from that? What did you notice from that Friday meal out where you felt like you didn't have options? Let's talk about that. Like that's the stuff we're going to talk about in this class. How awesome that that felt like a fumble or that felt like a mess up because that's where we get to – make some expansion and start to bring in more That's where the knowledge, in. the knowledge begins. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I feel like every time I talk to you, I just think that everybody should have a degree in mental health who works in nutrition.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think, well, and, and two, it's, you know, food. A lot of the times we barely talk about food with a lot of my nutrition clients. Absolutely. It's
2: mindset, into- it's emotions. It's, Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's emotions and then it's like, oh, by the way, (laughs) you know, after a certain point, you do know that, yeah, I feel better when I'm eating those colorful vegetables and I I understand sourcing, you know, what what quality kind of means from a food perspective. But now I have to apply that to myself as a being and my whole history of life bringing me to this present moment.
2: That is really powerful. Super powerful. I think
0: that's a, a great way to, to wrap up our
2: conversation today. So, yeah. um, Lucia, why don't you tell us about what what's jiving with you right now, what you're working on, and how everybody can find you?
0: Oh, sure. Um, so, what's jiving with me, like... Like what? What I've been doing?
2: Like, what are your part? Of, like, yeah, what part of your work are you really enjoying right now?
0: Yeah. So I mean, I'm just so honored to be on, like having this dialogue with you too, because this is the stuff that I'm jamming on. Where I'm like, oh, yeah. whatever, we don't. Let's not talk about bell peppers. Like, let's just talk about your feelings. <laughs> um, So I love talking about that. I'm, I'm working to, so essential omnivore.com is my blog and it's a, it's a recipe blog. Um, it's also where you can find my podcast. So I love hearing other people's stories. That's what my podcast is about. It's just bringing on, you know, uh, there's the focus is stories. That's like, that's the structure to the podcast because I think that is how we learn Mm-hmm. Is from one another's stories, and that's how we can make it really tangible. Not that we need to do what someone else is doing, but that we get to understand that there is so much variety, and that that can be instead of overwhelming, that can be very opening and very expansive. So that's what I'm geeking out on, um, and then just creating more you know resources for people because where that- is that?
1: Stunning. <laughs> oh, thank you. I love your Instagram. You take the most beautiful pictures. And I love the dialogue you create on your Instagram as well,
2: for sure. Thank you.
0: Yeah. And I love, you know, it's really fun that people are showing up for that dialogue because that's, I think it's very counterculture in a lot of ways. It yeah. is the
2: healing I, in in an honest moment, I have to prepare myself mentally before I watch your stories. So I will like, if I'm just like doing the, like mind numbing going through stories, just like hearing what people are up to, obviously my Instagram is full of what people are cooking and like <laughs> safe, non-toxic beauty. I'm like, yeah, that's all. It's very surface level. And when I get to yours, I have to go flip it. And then I come back later when I'm like in my zen space, and I'm like, so okay, really take it in. I'm gonna hear it. because I know I need to hear it. I need to hear it all the time. I need that reminder. So if you guys enjoyed our conversation today, please go visit Lucia on her um, Instagram handle at essential it. at essential omnivore, um, and um, just go listen to what she has to say over there too. It's tough to to get like everything we want when we're whenever we're talking about what we're passionate about in Instagram stories we get the 15 second clips <laughs> um definitely tell her that uh, that we sent you guys so that way she can see like
1: oh cool like they heard that
2: conversation because it's such a good conversation we just had well and I think all of us can say like please dm us oh yeah please like yes.
0: you know I was just going to say, like, I'm always an open book. I love to chat with people. I love when people sign into my DMs so we can have some dialogues um, because we need, I think there are power in numbers. And it's really cool yes. that the time that we're in, even though there's a lot of stuff that is not cool, I think at least with social media and the ability to have those dialogues and discussions so quickly, there's a lot of power there too.
1: Oh Yeah. yeah. And um, I love your comment section. I've gotten to know some cool people through your comment section. Yeah.
0: There's some cool
2: people that like you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean I like I like our little crew that we've got
2: <laughs> yeah for yeah. sure I think it's an important conversation to be had in this Quality. space and I'm really glad that you're the one taking up that space because I love what you have to say and I think I'm not the only one so I have one more light-hearted question to ask yeah. you what two recipes does everyone need to make on your blog
0: Ooh, Ooh, such a good question. Okay, Um, this recipe is maybe not very summary, but the other one is, so they'll balance each other out. I have a recipe for Moroccan baked chicken thighs that, like... Sometimes there are recipes that I make and like, it's good enough. And it goes on the (laughs) blog. This recipe, I was like drooling, barely had time to take the photo because I just wanted to like eat it out of the pan. So the Moroccan chicken thighs I think are awesome. And then for a very summery option, I have a mint and serrano pepper granita. So like an Mm. ice basically. So it's very, it's literally quite cool Mm. It's ice and it's cooling from the mint, but it's also peppery and spicy just enough to kind of get your taste buds going so those are my two favorite right now
2: your recipes like from a chef's perspective your recipes have like the most beautiful balance of like flavor and texture that i'm just like did you train as a chef what's happening right now that's (laughs) such a big compliment thank you i mean it you know so what i want to say what i've been eyeing is the sparkling probiotic mint lemonade oh yes that's going that's going down at my house oh, sometime this week. That constantly. sounds amazing. So one Yay. thing I'm eyeing is the popsicles
1: that you made the other day. What's the title <laughs> on those? Aren't they, they probiotic? Have you shared the recipe
0: yet? That recipe is coming this week. So I by the time this airs, it'll be there. So be yeah, where they really kind of the darker color. Yes. They're cherry Cola probiotic popsicles.
2: Stop it.
0: Oh my gosh.
2: My kids are going <laughs> to love it. My summer <laughs> heart. I love it. Yay. And creative ways to get you know, popsicle form is a great way to get nutrition into your tiny humans who don't want to deal with probiotic things or yes. um, or yeah. anything. Just yeah. freeze it, and it's for me specifically. My kid will not drink a smoothie, Ditto. which is oh, like really? what? Ditto. Why? Know. So popsicles, I am hoping will be our savior. So I will be making those too.
0: <laughs> popsicles and pancakes. I feel like our pancakes. Another like. I, oh I yeah. Have oh, that's
2: <laughs> You must be watching my Instagram stories because you
0: put all the things in the pancakes. (laughs) That's great.
2: (laughs) Okay. Well, thanks for being with us today, Lucia. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for
0: having
1: me. I have one more question for you.
2: Yeah. So we got to
1: hear. Oh, yes. We got to hear. What is your biggest rebel moment? When did you feel like you were going against the grain? You were working against what you thought was supposed to be the norm like tell us yeah that's such a good
0: question I also for you to know your tendencies I am a questioner with rebel tendencies so definitely like there's like (laughs) rebel in there um oh my gosh that's so tough because I feel like I've actually been in a funny way with like being homeschooled and whatever like I've kind of been on the outskirts of more conventional stuff a lot throughout my life yeah um I would say in the last year, what I have, my biggest rebel moment was actually more like relational, if I'm going to be honest, like yeah. really rebelling against people who were telling me how to spend my time and telling me who I should be and rebelling also, this is so funny. I don't know if this makes sense, but rebelling with a lot of love saying like, thank you so much for that perspective. And I'm going to go do my own thing. Oh, that's that was- so healthy though. Very, very challenging. Rebelling doesn't
1: have to be angry. Totally get that.
0: Yep. Any any of these, you know, this whole dialogue we've had, any of these changes, I think they can so often come from a place of anger. And anger, I think, is also a surface emotion a lot of the times where it's like there's something more vulnerable and we're projecting that anger to get through it. That can be a coping mechanism that can be healthy I think in the short term, but in the long term, I think it's a little maladaptive. So being able to fully recognize, like, wow, we all have so much autonomy. And here I was trying to please quite a few different people who were telling me they were quite powerful. And I got to say, cool, go do your own thing. I get to go do my own thing, too. So that was that was my big rebel moment in last I year.
2: love that. Oh, I love thanks. it. I feel like you kind of live your rebel moment on the daily. <laughs> yeah. Just with what just this whole conversation about diet culture. So I love that piece of it too. I think we're just naturally obviously rebel heart radio. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> And the interesting part is I've had a couple of people ask me, well, like being a rebel is not my tendency. It's not Genevieve's tendency either. We're both obligers, but Mm -hmm. I have a a little bit of a rebel tendency. We're referring to the four tendencies framework from Gretchen Rubin, by the way, I will link in the show notes. Um, Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, they're like, why did you name the podcast? I'm like, that's just the jam. Let's all go against the grain all day, every day. And I feel like that is you, girl. You're like, "Mm -hmm." In in the best way. Oh, yeah. In the best way. So you're just teaching health from a mental and physical wellness that is
1: against a lot of cultural norms. And we love that. That's why, that's why we were like, Lucia has to be on our podcast. <laughs> <I
0: know. laughs> so thank you for being our first guest. Yes, of course. Thanks for having me on here. And thanks for having this podcast. I so align with that too, you know, just like... People life goes by really quickly and we all have autonomy. so let's just do what we need to do to be our full selves like ugh. let's <laughs> do, do it misty I now I know I'm already. Uh-oh. let's do this. I'm like
2: mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah I can't I, yeah all day every day for me i pretty much cry every day it's insane.
1: <laughs>
2: well thank you so much for coming on the
1: show we're definitely going to be looking forward to uh, your your all of the things on your instagram and your blog um those popsicles are happening in my house so thank you so much yeah, for check coming the,
2: check the blog right now people oh yeah if right they're now. up we'll we'll link them
1: in the show notes too for sure all right thanks awesome thanks for joining us today on this episode of rebel heart radio You can visit our website to submit a question at www.rebelheartradio.com or you can hop on our Instagram. You can ask us anything. We love to get to know you guys. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a review on iTunes and we'll catch you guys on the next episode.
2: We're doing the thing, making it happen. no keep going I'm just gonna keep going no I want to redo it okay <laughs> I'm all I'm all off. I'm all off so
0: your intros are great I like I record my intros like after because I'm just like I get so much stage fright recording them in front of people so you're great we we yeah, I, don't
2: quick. To, I don't get stage fright
0: <laughs> okay so anyways
2: eating and eating disorder or just disorder eating in general girl it's off <laughs> Sorry. Wait, <laughs> side note. Okay, stop recording. Yeah, hold on. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyways, um, I lost my train of thought. I can replay what we said. Hold on. <laughs> oh, she's so fancy like that. Ooh.